Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. And I'm really excited for today's show. On today's show, we're going to break down the NFL games, as well as I'm going to have a guest on my NBA correspondent, Austin Lee, to go through a lot of the NBA topics that have transpired throughout this past week. So all that and more on the new episode of Shred Takes podcast show. Welcome back to the Shred Takes podcast show. Glad you guys can join me back on the show, and I'm really excited to go through different topics for today. Before I jump in and talk a little bit about NBA with my buddy Austin Lee, who's going to be joining shortly. On the first segment of the show, I'm going to break down some NFL. And what that basically entails is going through some of the marquee games, explaining what the, the teams that are not favored to win those games need to do in order to win, and talk a little bit about what this all kind of means for the NFL generally. Going through all this kind of stuff, what I am going to talk about specifically is the Saints and the Chiefs, all right? I'm going to be sure about it. Basically, I think, the, look, I think the Saints have a great opportunity to win today because they're at home. They have Drew Brees coming back, and I think they have the element of surprise with Taysom Hill. Now, everyone's kind of sucking up to Taysom Hill a little bit, but I think the fact that he's an element of surprise, the fact that he can is so versatile that he can do different things in the football field, you can put him in a, when you're in, in a – close game that you're winning scenario because he does he takes care of the football he can run and eat up clock that you're you're going to have a lot of time in possession the big thing with the, with the saints today their defense has to be on point and how they're going to cover tyree kill they can't let him get behind the defense they got to double team him at the point of attack and then travis kelsey obviously they have to know where he is too now are they going to completely neutralize the chiefs probably not right i mean i think it would be you know smart to pick the Chiefs in this one. I'm actually going to pick the Saints because I think the Saints element of surprise is going to surprise a lot of people. And I think the Chiefs, even though I think they are the best team in the NFL, I think that their, their you know, lack of urgency will catch up to them at some point. I think this game will be it. I think they're going to end the season 14-2, and two, so I think they're going to be perfectly fine. But that's where I kind of go with that with them because I think that they have great potential, but I think their big problem is their lack of urgency. And I think the Saints strategy can work really effectively for this team going forward. Now I want to break down the Giants and the Browns, okay? And this is a pivotal game for both teams, but this is really more pivotal, I would say, for the New York Giants. The New York Giants win this week and Washington loses. They get first place again. And is there a chance they can do that? Sure, there's a chance. Um, If they have Colt McCoy in there, they beat Seattle, right? And games that they haven't been favored to win necessarily this year, they've actually played pretty well. And where I see that they can be successful is making Baker Mayfield uncomfortable, right? He's not a guy that scrambles outside of the pocket like a Kyler Murray that can make things really difficult for the Giants defense. The Giants are really good against pocket passers based on just look at like Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, while he can scramble, he's more holding holding into the pocket and that's going to cause a lot of problems even with Baker Mayfield you know I think Baker Mayfield is, is a pretty good athlete he's more of a pocket passer and also again he's a guy who's inconsistent while he's had two incredible weeks recently 
I think that, you know, the Giants can actually do some really good damage defensively on them. However, I think that the Browns do have a little bit too much trouble with the running game. And I think, look, the running game, the Giants actually are better against the run in the pass. So the Giants actually could have a chance of winning this game at home if they come out ready to play. They, they don't turn the ball over. They make smart decisions. They go through the running game. And they stop, they stop the Browns running game, right? Because their play action for the Browns is so deadly that if you basically do not allow the Browns to run the football effectively, you actually are going to negate a lot of things they do very well because their running game leads to the play action, which is really effective for Baker Mayfield. And I think the Giants have a chance today to really disrupt that. Do I think it would be smart for a lot of fans to pick the Browns? Sure. But I think the Giants have a chance in this game because of the fact that their defense is really good. And I think that Joe Judge will find adjustments in order to, to give Baker Mayfield different, tougher options and not just let them run the football the entire game. We'll see what happens, but that's where I feel about that. Now, I'm going to talk about the two games I just saw yesterday. Let's start with the, the Bills beating the Broncos, and let's talk about the Packers beating the um, Panthers yesterday. And so here's, here's what I, I kind of learned about both teams yesterday, to be honest. I learned about the Bills is that the Bills are for real, and I've said that for a couple of weeks now. I think the Bills have proven a lot. And I think the big thing with them is you've if you watch them – closely what they do really well is have josh and have a lot of weapons that josh allen now is accurately throwing to their defense is getting better and better each week and especially against the run and they only held denver to 19 points and drew lock only threw for four yards an attempt yesterday while josh allen just played a great game again and if they continue to go down this road they can actually be very dangerous now, they all, like I said, they are had the highest ceiling of also getting to the AC Championship game, but also losing the first round because it all depends on how Josh Allen plays. If Josh Allen is playing like he's playing right now at an elite-level quarterback, I think that they can actually make a run because I think that their defense is getting good enough. I think they have enough talent offensively to stay in games and be in sort of, some sort of shootout. But it's all going to depend on if Josh Allen is accurate, does you know takes care of the football and that kind of stuff, which yes, last couple, you know, last four or five weeks. He's done a tremendous job. The Packers played very bad yesterday, but still came out with a win, which shows, I mean, Aaron Rodgers did enough to win, right? Didn't make any mistakes, but didn't throw it for a ton of yards. He was kind of anemic yesterday. But Aaron Rodgers still had the ability to not throw interceptions, which is something that I think he's a little better at right now than Patrick Mahomes. You know, Patrick Mahomes is phenomenal at it. You look at this, like the Panthers don't have a great defense and they didn't probably, the Packers probably didn't come out ready to play yesterday. They still won 24 to 16 without Aaron Rodgers having a phenomenal game. And that just shows you that they gave the ball Aaron Jones a lot. He was successful, right? So the Packers are still, I think, a for real team. I think that they will get the one seed in the NFC. And I think that that's going to help them out a lot because again, winning in Lambeau is really difficult to do. Seattle saw that the hard way last year. I think it's going to be very difficult for that to actually to happen. And that's where I kind of feel there with that. Now, I also want to talk about a little bit about some other games that I'm looking at today. I think that are key headline games. So let's look at Seattle and Washington. Let's look at Tampa Bay and Atlanta. And then let's look at Miami and New England. Okay. So who are my predictions? I think Miami's going to beat New England because I think Brian Flores' defense and his knowledge of Bill Belichick will help out because I think he's actually done the, the best job ex-Patriot. He's the best ex-Patriot coach I've seen recently. 
I think their defense is good. I think Tua doesn't make mistakes, even though Belichick has a really good record against young QBs. I think that the problem with the Patriots is their offense is just so anemic and just doesn't really do anything and that, that effective because Camden can't throw the football that well. And the running game is only good for so long. I think that with against, especially a team that's been second in the NFL in points per game allowed, especially and also they're a team that doesn't turn the football over. I think Miami's going to win a close one, but I think Miami's going to win that game. Now, Washington and Seattle, if Washington had a more comparable quarterback in terms of taking care of the football, I think they would win this game. But I think they're going to lose. I think Dwayne Haskins will turn the football over a little too much against Seattle. And I think that they'll lose, they'll lose this game by a touchdown or 10 points because I think that Dwayne Haskins is not right now ready for prime time yet. I think he has loads of potential, but he does have a turn tendency to turn over the football way too much. Even though their defense is really, really good, I think that the problem is that their offense is not going to make up for the fact of how bad they are going to be this week, I think. And that's going to cause Seattle to win this game. I think actually it's going to be a close, closer game than people actually think, actually. Even though I said 10 to 10 points, I think it will be a closer game because I think the defense of Washington will keep it in, in there with Chase Young and all their you know, draft picks on the, on the front seven who are just unreal. Now, the last one I want to talk about is just Tampa Bay Atlanta, right? I think Tampa Bay is going to win this game pretty handily today. And people are going to say that because Atlanta has a phenomenal offense, right? But Atlanta's defense is terrible. But Atlanta's also played really bad the last couple of weeks. So I think Atlanta's kind of falling apart a little bit. I think Tampa Bay is going to be fine. And I think Tampa Bay is going to come out and win this game today by at least two touchdowns um, or at least, you know, 10 to, 10 to 14 points. And that's all based on the fact that I think that, you know, Tom Brady just has to play decent football. And I think that he can do that against Atlanta because Atlanta's defense is so bad. And that's kind of where I feel with that. And as a result of that, I think Tampa Bay is going to win that game handily. And that's where I kind of feel with all that kind of stuff. So those are kind of my basic NFL takes for this week. Um, later this week, I'll give my rankings based on what happens today and Monday. And um, on the next segment of the show, I'm going to be bringing Austin Lee back onto the show to talk some NBA stuff and get in some topics. So stay tuned for that in a, in a minute or two. Thank you. Ready whenever you are. So guys, uh, Austin Lee is back on the show. This is his third, third, or, no, sorry, fourth time back on the show. Um, so I, you know, he's our, he's our, my NBA correspondent guy because this guy, even though he swims at Amherst, is uh, is a big time NBA fan. So uh, Austin, uh, to, to get jump right into it, man, I, I just wanted to hear your reactions to first the Giannis Supermax deal and the Paul George Supermax deal. Maybe you know why one deal is better for the NBA over another why one deal made more sense. Um, in my opinion, the Giannis deal made a lot of sense because Giannis's future, you can bet on that more because he's 25. He's got, he's, he got a lot of room to grow. Paul George, in my opinion, you don't really, I don't really know that Supermax made a lot of sense to me because he, you don't really know his, you, you know that he's not a guy that's going to perform well in the playoffs um, and he'll hopefully fix that up. But that, that's kind of where I felt there. Wanted to get your reactions to those Supermax deals and uh, you know, break those down a little bit. Yeah, Mike, just want to start it off, you know, thank, thank you for having me again. Uh, you know, I love being on this podcast with you. Um, and yeah, let's just get right into it, I guess. For Giannis, I feel like the, the Supermax contracts are kind of like an incentive, right? You know, because they have to be eligible um, after eight years on the team or something like that. And also along the lines of, you know, being an all NBA level player, um, the Supermax is kind of like that incentive for 
a guy like Giannis to stay in that small market is in, in for what I believe, you know, like Milwaukee's not a huge, you know, basketball market. And it hasn't been since like the likes of Kareem and Oscar Robertson, I feel like. And so I feel like the Supermax is there for those guys to stay there. And it definitely, you know, works out. They, they tried to make the moves for him um, with Drew Holiday uh, getting acquired over the off season. And um, I think they lost Wesley Matthews and Dante DiVincenzo was re-signed. I think those were like, it's like notable moves maybe, but besides that, I, I don't think the Bucks are that bad. You know, they're still going to be contending in the East. Um, and going on to Paul George, um, I, I agree with you. I don't know why they signed him with that max extension so early on. Um, I don't know if he's really worth, I mean, he's worth that kind of money. You know, in the regular season, he's definitely proven to be that superstar level talent, especially two years ago when he was, you know, third in MVP voting and like second or third in uh, defensive play of the year voting as well. Um, so Paul George is definitely that caliber level player, but especially after the bubble, you start to question whether he has that kind of mentality to, to go out and win in the postseason. And, you know, we know what Kawhi can do and he, how, how much of a, you know, monster he is in terms of basketball and, and in the postseason. But Paul George, since ever since Indiana and that gruesome injury, um, hasn't really showed up in the playoffs, I feel like, and in the postseason in general. And I just don't know if the Clippers should have signed him long-term like that because of those failures. This is a, a related question to the Clippers. Do you think that Kawhi gets a bit of a pass now? Because even though he let, – let, let, let's be honest, he – you know, crumbled in game seven, um, didn't play well against the Denver Nuggets. Um, and my big problem with him is not his play. It's not the fact that he's, you know, quiet or whatever, because I'm not I'm never going to attack guys' personality. It's just who he is. Um, but the problem with the Clippers, and I wanted just to break this down because I was thinking about it, is their lack of a leader and the lack of a point guard. Um, do you think that's going to hold them back this year from getting past teams like, Denver, like the Lakers, like the Mavericks. Um, I don't know. You can just go down. Like, I mean, the West is loaded this year. So, you, you, you know, but I was wondering what you kind of thought about that too. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the narrative in the offseason was kind of like the Clippers wanted Rajon Rondo. They wanted that point guard that could, that has that veteran championship uh, experience, but at the same time, you know, is a playmaker. He has that basketball IQ that, you know, LeBron has always praised and, and has loved all this time. Um and they lost him, you know, he went to Atlanta and they don't have that, you know, playmaking point guard, that guy that could, you know, run the offense, kind of, you know, see it out, like from an Eagles eye point of view and, you know, kind of just like command the team around. And you could have Kawhi do that, but I feel like, you know, Kawhi is more of like, you know, he's a wing. Um, he, he's going to, he's there, he's there to score and play defense. And they, I feel like they needed that commanding force at the one and, you know, Reggie Jackson, and Lou Williams are not, are not doing the job for you. So that's, that's where I'm at with that. One thing I wanted to talk about shifting topics a little bit. Um, so James Harden has made a lot of the news recently. I think you've been aware of this and it's for not good reasons, right? Going out to clubs with no masks on partying, coming in out of shape, uh, demanding trades. And then there's a recent report from ESPN that they said that the Rockets kind of catered to him and kind of did whatever he wanted. So my initial reaction to it is that, you know, Harden needs to hear the word no. There needs to be some sort of accountability there 
because with him right now, he thinks he can do whatever he wants. There's no repercussions. And the reason why it, with him, it's more of a big deal compared to a guy like LeBron or Kevin Durant is because LeBron and Kevin Durant have won championships and Harden hasn't, hasn't, he's in the biggest moments of his career. Let's just look at game seven against the Warriors in 2017, 12 of 29. I mean, last year in the playoffs, he actually did it okay, except that, that game seven against the Thunder, they, they won. He played really bad. I mean, he wasn't the reason they won that game, even though he had that great defensive stop. He was not the reason. Lou Dort, a guy who like we didn't even know existed half the year, like completely outplayed him for that game. So um, I was wondering what your thoughts about, about James Harden. Do you think that, you know, Houston should look to trade him or do you think that Houston should just be like, no, you're not leaving and you go, you have to go do your job. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm, I'm kind of on like both sides with that because on one end, you know, he is under contract, right? I mean, he, he's like signed with his name that he he's owned by the Houston Rockets technically. Um, but on the other end, I feel like there is player empowerment and players do have a choice in where they want to be and where they want to go. Because if James Harden doesn't like the Houston Rockets, he doesn't have to, do well for the Houston Rockets because no matter what he's getting that money you know he's getting paid that money no matter what um and so I think that Houston should look to trade him they just need to be careful in terms of like value you know and and getting the maximum amount of value for the superstar level talent he is um I think James Harden when it's all said and done even you know without rings uh fifth best shooting guard all time honestly like he I think he really is that good um and I think, you know, either Philly, um, Brooklyn, I, I mean, you know, and even the other teams that kind of, I guess what they said would like opened up to, to trade talks, um, I, Miami Heat in the mix. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, the, the options are endless in terms of like teams that, that want him and, and want to win now. Um, it just, it's just a matter of who they're going to have to give up and what pieces Houston wants in return for, for the super, for the super uh, star, James Harden. See, I think that's fair. And then I think that's, that argument makes a lot of sense. Um, but the problem with Harden is I just, I, there's not a place, a lot of places he fits well. And um, my argument with that is like with Miami, right? You would probably have to give up hero and bam out of bio for him. And I think those guys are better in Miami. I think Miami's team is perfectly fine the way they are. Actually, I had them going to the Eastern Conference Finals or even winning the East this year. So it's a pretty like that's how much I believe in the Miami Heat because of the, of the culture and the team they are. Right. I think Harden would you know mess that up to an extent because you have to be willing as a team and other superstars in the team to live with the fact that he dribbles 15 times between his legs and shoots like 15 to 23s. And you have to live with that. Right. I'm not denying that he can't score points. I mean, I know that. But like it, my problem with him is more the fact of you know, his fit and the fact that like, you know, it, it's not good, a good look right now to go out partying and come in 15 pounds overweight and having in like, you know, Kendrick Perkins calling you like the version of him. So, I mean, that, that's, that, that's not good. Um, and I was wondering what you kind of thought about that because, you know, I, I, while I understand that, you know, his offensive value, like you're saying is great, his, his lack of leadership and his lack of winning intangibles. And I think this is his style of play. I don't think it works for a lot of teams, but you can, I want to hear if you disagree. No. Yeah. Going into that. I, mean, I, I 100% agree with you uh, in terms of like Miami heat, we know the culture there, they come into practice early to get like their fat percentages checked, you know, like they're, their team that is known to be that grind culture and James Harden, I agree, wouldn't absolutely not fit in there. Um, and so that's, that's also a part of it. He doesn't fit into many teams 
And that's definitely a reason as to why Russell builds this, this team culture of grinding. Um, and James Harden is kind of just left in the dust. You know, I think they did give him too much leverage in terms of, while I do agree it is his own fault, you know, because he makes his own choices. Um, I do also want to hold like, you know, like the coaching and also the higher ups and management also accountable because they're the ones that are also letting him do this kind of stuff. Whereas I feel like it may be in Oklahoma while he was still young and maybe wasn't exposed to this kind of stuff like he is in Houston. Um, I felt like in Oklahoma, there was definitely a better culture there back uh, in, you know, 2012, 2013. And they definitely held each other accountable. And you know, that's why they were successful as a team. And James Harden started, you know, coming up as the guy he is today. Um, and I feel like he needs to return to a culture like that where they're in a winning position. You know, a couple of years ago, I felt like that was the case because he was in great shape. He was doing the things he was in his MVP year um, and with Chris Paul. And they were in the postseason actually doing pretty well, of course, going up a great against a great team like the Golden State Warriors. Um, they fell in game seven. But I feel like if James Harden can return with the coach and the management that could hold him accountable and say, hey, like we need you to stop doing the partying. You know, we need you to be safe. We need you, we need you to be you, you know. Um, and and be ready for the postseason when it comes. Yeah, so one thing I wanted to jump into is your initial preseason um, impressions. Now, like I know the preseason season doesn't really mean much, but one thing I'll take away is Kevin Durant looks nothing short of what he was. Um, I watched him against Boston recently. And look, there's sometimes where I, like, he, he doesn't go to the rim as much as he, as he used to. That's one thing I kind of looked at. I mean, he does go to the rim, but he definitely shoots a lot more than I think he did in the past, which I think actually for his game works because he can just, you know, score it no, no problem. But I know Kyrie gives people problems. I know he says a lot of things that are not maybe the most intelligent. I mean, he, I mean, he kind of annoys me with that kind of stuff too. But they are seeming to work together. That's just the, the big impression. And then, you know, my New York Knicks seem to be playing pretty hard. Um, but they don't look that great, but they did look decent in the preseason. But I want to know what your initial um, impressions of the preseason have been, even though it is the preseason. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, the narratives are just, oh, it's just preseason, oh. Um, but I feel like because it is preseason and some of these players haven't played since February or March or April, whenever the, you know, the league initially shut down, um, some of these, you know, like Trey Young, some of these all-star level players, and even like, you know, even the higher up and like KD, Kyrie, like Jokic and Jamal Murray, they're all playing and, you know, they're getting back in shape and they're practicing. So it's actually been kind of entertaining to watch, even though it's, you know, they're not really trying super hard or anything like that. But like you said, I think KD and Kyrie look really good. They look, they look like they're um, in shape and they have that chemistry there. Um, KD looks like he's scoring just as fine as he used to. Um, I mean, obviously teams aren't clamping down as hard as they are as they would in like in the regular season, but he's still looking good. He's, he looks, he looks light off his feet. Um, and I think the league should be scared because, you know, KD is back. Um, second best player in the league is, is coming back. And also Kyrie, you know, I know that people give him a lot of hate for what he says and the things he does, you know, I mean, it is a little sus, but, um, I, I, I feel like his game speaks for himself, you know? when Kyrie is must, must watch basketball, you know, he, he's just pure entertainment in my opinion. That's, that's the reason why I really like him just in terms of like really being just a basketball player and, and, you know, having tight handles and, and everything like that. And, you know, even going to your point with the Knicks, 
the Knicks, I mean, I think the Knicks look good. Um, there was that rookie Emmanuel quickly, I think, right? He, he, I, I think he's, I, I do think he's a sleeper, honestly. Like people are like making fun of like, oh, Emmanuel quickly, you know, like steal the draft. But like, I think, I think he is like going to be really good. He could be pretty good. And, and Obi um, being a little bit older, you know, uh, comes in kind of a little bit more ready compared to like, like a Lamella ball, like an 18 year old, 19 year old kid. Whereas he's, you know, 21, 22, played three, four years of basketball, whatever, um, and kind of has that experience he's built, you know, six, eight scores. Um, and even looking at like guys like a Taylor Horn Tucker on the Lakers, um, I feel like, the, I mean, the preseason is meant for these guys to come kind of like, you know, come out and, and show what they got while a LeBron and like Anthony Davis are sitting on the bench and resting, you know, um, yeah, interesting. I was going to talk a little bit about what do you think of LaMelo Ball? I, I think he I think he looks a little bit more, um, I think, fluid than Lonzo. Um, I don't think he – I mean, you know, he's had some decent scoring games. I, I think his scoring for him has been an issue. Um, I, I don't think he's really a good three-point shooter. But his passing, it's it, like, it must be a ball trait. I mean, I don't know what Jello – Jello doesn't really seem like that. But um, <laughs> at least from the ones who are, I think are like, you know, the star level ball – brothers you know they they at least show an ability to you know really be able to pass the ball and the fact that he can get a lot of assists with you know a pretty you know low talent level Charlotte Hornets team led by like you know Devontae Graham you know and right now Gordon Hayward's injured and then you know like Cody Zeller right so you know um I, I think I don't know what you think about LaMelo but I mean for example I, I still don't think he's you know um, a top tier score. Um, I think he's a, he's a great passer. Um, I think that's kind of what I thought about him always. Um, Cause I think his ability to sh- shoot was going to hinder him. Um, I don't know if you think any different. Yeah. I, I feel like his uh, efficiency is a little questionable. Right. Um, but besides that, I do think the basketball IQ and the passing vision is there. I mean, we've seen these highlight tapes and, you know, Instagram videos already of him throwing you know, behind the, like literally Magic Johnson-like passes, in my opinion. Um, they, they look, they're really entertaining to see. Um, and I feel like his shot is a little bit weird. You know, he doesn't really come off the floor, I feel like, when he shoots. Yeah, it's a little, like, from the chest, like, I don't know. It's a little weird, but when it goes in, it does go in, I feel like. And and we can't really question that. He's a six eight, right, point guard. He has the passing vision. I, I it literally reminds me of kind of like a yeah, Magic Johnson, but without, you know, probably not as, not as great, obviously, but the passing vision is there. The basketball IQ is there. And I do think he is better than Lonzo. Um, I'm, I'm also not a huge fan of Lonzo. I'm kind of biased against him, but um, I, I think, I think Lamelo will be, I think he'll be befitting of the third overall pick in the draft. I think, I think he's that good. Last thing I want to do about preseason. Um, someone else has impressed me a lot based on how much better conditioned he looks. Zion. Zion looks a lot better um, based on the first two games I've seen. Now, Grant, I know he was going against like the second and third string guys the other night, but I mean, he, he, in his first preseason games, he's had 25 or more points. And, you know, you see more of what he is. I think what the Pelicans last year, they really just kind of used him in pick and rolls, post-up situations, which again, very effective for him last year, but he was out of shape most of the year. He wasn't there a lot of the time. You right. see he's, he looks in better shape, at least from my opinion. He's still big. But, you know, he, his handle looks really good. I mean, you can see more of that stuff he did at Duke. Um, and I think that that's where I think Stan Van Gundy is trying to lead him, like, you know, defense, but, like, use 
him as a small ball five when Steven Adams isn't in there. I don't know what you have thought about the Pelicans with understand Van Gundy and uh, Zion. I think Stan, I like the way he's, he's having this team play so far. Oh yeah. I mean, all those points you just talked about, I 100% agree with Zion. I think something that's underrated about him is his fluidity and getting to the basket. Um, he, his handles are kind of crazy. Um, the way he's able to control that ball um, with such a big body and, you know, going in, weaving in and out between like three defenders trying to get to the basket. Um, he's just able to worm his way in. And I think that's something that goes underrated with him. You know, we look at last year, the small sample size that he played, you know, pick and pop situations in the post pick and roll, you know, just, just doing what he does, you know, just kind of like there. But I feel like now with Stan and Gundy, he's able to utilize him more, especially cause we know Stan Van Gundy is a very defensive minded coach as well. Um, and kind of, I feel like him and Steven Adams in that court is it's, it's a scary duo and, and they're very, they're both very strong. And I feel like it's gonna be a very commanding defensive force. Last thing to wrap up here. What do you think, you know, uh, you know, I just heard you told me the news today, but uh, Rudy Gobert's uh, recent deal with the Utah jazz. What do you think that means? Like, I, it doesn't surprise me that they, they invested in him because he's such a great shot blocker. Um, I think, look, I, I think Utah, for example, for how, you know, discombobulated they were last year how dysfunctional i'm not blaming that on, on uh, quinn snyder at all but they were dysfunctional last year uh, they definitely underachieved expectations but then in, in the bubble they and, and look they, they should have beaten denver i think everyone you know you know denver obviously did the best thing they had to do in those first you know those next three games but i think utah you know defensively still has a lot of potential i think look david mitchell continues to look better and better every year um but you know how do you feel about you know the fact that they invested and go bear kind of, you know, right now. Um, and do you think that's going to impact their relationship with Donovan Mitchell at all? Or do you think they're just going to be like, all right, we'll sign him down the road. Uh, no problem. Yeah, I think it was a good investment. Um, Utah knows that with Donovan Mitchell also signing the contract extension this past summer, along with, you know, the great class of like, you know, Tatum and Bam and Brandon Ingram too. I think that, you know, those guys are all all-star level players, great players all signing that contract extension. I think Rudy Gobert, knowing that Donovan Mitchell is there to stay for these five more years, um, knows that going forward that, oh, this is a long-term thing. And I think under also like, you know, veteran leadership from Mike Conley, who's who's been to like Western Conference Finals back in 2013 and stuff like that. Um, I do feel like their team will be good. I mean, they're, they're always in there. I do feel like that they should have beat Denver in that first round, but, you know, Jamal Murray playing with the way he was at the time, no one can question the fact that, you know, they made it as far as they did. Um, but I do, I do feel like Don, Donovan Mitchell is a superstar in my opinion, or if he's not there yet, he will be, you know, um, him and, you know, Rudy Gobert shop being the shot blocker. He is two time defensive player of the year. I, I do. I don't think it's a surprise that he was signed with, you know, this much money. I think it's the largest contract for a big man and the third largest contract in history. Um, I don't think anyone's surprised that he got re-signed and I think he deserves it for what he does for that team. hundred percent agree with you there. Um, because I, I think, look, I think, I think with Donovan Mitchell, you have a guy, I think that, yeah, he's, he's leaning to, to superstar status. He seems to do that consistently. I think we saw in the playoffs, you know, even that game seven, which was the ugliest game seven, I think I've seen in a while, right. That he, he, he can dominate games very easily. I mean, I think he, 
he and uh, Jamal Murray had the most combined points in a series, I right. think, like either ever or like in the last like you know fifty years. Wow. Oh wow. Yeah. 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 So the one thing I was thinking about too is like you need a guy who's going to protect the rim, number mm-hmm. one. But what Rudy Gobert also does really well. He's a great finisher off pick and roll, and he's a great rebounder. Like he, like, I agree. and that, that's one thing, especially when you're going against the Lakers, you're going against the Clippers. I mean, they have Serge Ibaka and Zubats. You could, but right. I'm talking more. Let's take more about you know the Lakers and the Nuggets, right? Because you have to have someone that's going to make things tough on Jokic, right? The Lakers have uh, Marcus Saul that you know he's old. He at least from a physicality and smartness standpoint can make things somewhat tough for Jokic. It's hard to make. I mean, if Jokic looks, I mean, Jokic looks really good right now because he's just yeah. Jokic's big problem is is being in shape, and I think he's really addressed that now. I think he's um, in phenomenal shape right now. Yeah. He's in phenomenal shape, and and you know, Denver for me actually, I have them going to Western Conference Finals again this year. Um, I do too. <laughs> I yeah. do too. Even though they lost Jeremy Grant, um, I think their their big thing is I think that Michael Porter Jr. is going to take a step up. I think yeah. I think Bull Bull has looked very interesting in preseason. People are oh, no one yes. talks about him. I think they can utilize him in different ways. Not, not because he's an incredible offensive talent, but because he has so much, you know, mobility at that size. You can put him in at the three, four, and five, and I think he, he, yeah. can, you know, he can disrupt a lot of things for you. Stress and he can for base you the too. court for a guy like Jokic yeah. point forward. Jamal Murray's right. also going to take, I think, the next step up too. Um, and I think the reason why I'm saying Gobert's important for that is because Gobert does a lot of really good things in terms of just like, making things difficult for a guy like Jokic. You saw in that, that Utah series, Jokic struggled with Gobert because Gobert's really long. He's athletic. And, you know, Jokic had, you know, Jokic lives on, you know, his strength and his skill, right? He, he Jokic right. can, you know, he doesn't really dunk that easily. So, right, right. so I, I, I was wondering, I mean, I, I went on that little tirade, but I was wondering again, like, I know you're a big Nuggets fan. We talked about this before, or mm-hmm. I mean, at least like, no, you're not, you're not, you're not, not like your favorite team, but, do you like, you know, what they have brought? So do I. Um, so I was wondering if you kind of like, like who on Denver besides the guys I just mentioned, like, like what do you think is going to make them, you know, make or break them this year, um, take that next step to get to that Western Conference Finals, make it tough for the Lakers again, or just be that, you know, like the Trailblazers, that, that one-year wonder kind of team that's always going to be a playoff team, but never really get to that level again. Yeah. Uh, let me just look at the roster real quick. Okay. So, I mean, looking at the players, I think they still have Gary Harris, right? Um, I think people forget to mention him all the time. I think they still have Will Barton, right? People forget to mention these two guys who are always consistently on that team, giving you, you know, toss and turn, maybe 10 to 15 points a night, give or take. Um, and then, you know, we talk about Jokic, who, superstar. Uh, I think he's a superstar. He's in phenomenal shape, which is the one problem he had before. And he's he looks fast. He's, he's gliding across that court. Um, and then Jamal Murray. You know, I think he's going to take that next step up. Um, if, if, if the bubble has any correlation, you know, to how players and teams are looking, Phoenix definitely is one we to look at. And also, you know, Jamal Murray. And I think he, he can make that jump. It's just whether or not, you know, with the return of a Steph Curry um, in this stacked lineup of Western point guard, West all-star point guards, uh, how he's going to fare amongst all of them. He, he, he does have the positive of, you know, Russell Westbrook moving to the East, but at the same time, you have the re- return of Steph Curry, you still have Dame and those kind of guys. And like you said, I think Michael Porter Jr. and Bobo, you know, I think Bobo had like 10 points and like four rebounds in five minutes or something like that the other day. Like 
he can do everything for you. He he's athletic. He he's fast. He can move. He can move on the court. He could also you know space the floor for you because he could shoot. Um, and Michael Porter Jr. I think you know, like I said, you know, if the bubble is any correlation to how the season's going to go, he looked really good. And I think he could be that third guy on the team that gives you you know upwards to almost twenty points on a given night. Um, in my opinion, I think he really is just that good. And oh, I forgot about Paul Millsap too. You know that veteran kind of guy who, you know, he is a little bit old now, but I still think he's, he, he can shoot the ball and, you know, give you a little bit of defense. And so I think that Denver team, in my opinion, is along the lines of second, second or third in the West um, in terms of regular season, because we know they're a re- really good regular season team. And I do think that they can make it to the Western Conference uh, finals once again, like they did last year, and most likely go against the Lakers if they don't do it beforehand. Last thing, uh, I'm going to give my preseason uh, MVP, um, I think most improved player of the year and NBA champion, um, all of those. And then I, I think also like, uh, I think the defensive player of the year too, I'm going to go through all those kind of things. So I think mm-hmm. the most improved guy, um, I think is going to be um, Trey Young. I think Trey Young is going to take a big step up this year. I think Atlanta has a piece around them to, I think Atlanta could fight for a playoff spot this year. I really do. Um, I actually, I think they are either going to be an eighth or ninth seed in the East. I think they have the talent to do it. Um, my MVP is Luka Doncic. I think that's a, a pretty favorable one for a lot of people because I think the fact is he doesn't have Porzingis there for the first month. I think he's going to be doing a lot. I think they're going to win a lot of games because of what he can do. Um, if you watch him already, he looks more, he, he looks better from three-point range. Um, he looks, you know, just the same kind of really good player that he was in the bubble. Um, and you know, my, my NBA champion, um, is probably, is going to, is going to probably be the Lakers. Um, I have the Lakers, I had the Lakers and heat in the finals actually, again, uh, interesting enough, because I think that the heat are going, the heat are so, uh, structured well enough. I think the problem is why I think Brooklyn's very talented I think that Katie and Kyrie are not the guys I'm worried about necessarily. It's the others. Can the others feel happy not touching the ball all the time, right? Like a Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie. And I don't know. And I think that, you know, even Steve Nash does a good job. I think that Miami's tough to guard because they all can shoot. I think, well, except for Bam. Bam's more of a 15-foot guy. But they have, you know, guys who could, they, they can all switch. They can all guard guys. Um, and they don't really need a ton of size against Brooklyn because Brooklyn's bigs don't really do a whole lot offensively. Um, that's where I kind of go with that. And then I think defensive player of the year is going to go to Bam Adebayo. Um, I'm actually convinced of that because I think that, you know, he was really not uh, appreciated as defender until the finals last year. And I think the fact that he can switch one through five, the fact that he's athletic, you know, everyone thinks Anthony Davis is the only guy who really can do that. And that's not true. I mean, Bam Adebayo can really do it too. Like, and I think that's uh, going to be kind of where I go with that. So I, I was wondering if you wanted to give the same thing. So it's NBA finals champ, most improved MVP, and defensive player of the defensive year. Player of the year. Okay. Yeah. I'll just go down real quick. My list too, then um, let's start with most improved player. Uh, I think Michael Porter jr. I think he'll, I think he can make that jump in terms of, you know, I mean, in terms of the regular season last year before bubble, I don't know how much he actually played. You know, we didn't really talk about Michael Porter jr. At all. I feel like um, unless he was injured, I'm, I'm, I don't really remember that well, but you know, coming into the bubble, we got to see what he could do. And I think, you know, he can take his game to the next level and be that third option for Denver. Um, for the MVP, I feel like Luka Doncic 
I think it's not really a surprise. You know, he was already in terms of like, I think like what, fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere along that range in terms of MVP voting last year. Um, I, I think he literally could be a candidate for most approved player also. Like, you know, he, he's just that good and he's just slowly and consistently improving at that rate. Um, you know, in terms of shooting, like you said, I think he looks just as good. He looks the same as before, but better in terms of shooting efficiency-wise. He looks good. Um, and I think when KP comes back, they're going to be a deadly duo together. Uh, in terms of NBA champs, I think I, I think the Lakers, you know, I, I think there's no surprise there that they're the clear favorites, I think, to return and win it again. Um, you know, they literally got rid of Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, Rondo, Danny Green, but then in return got the first and second place six man of the year candidates in Montrezl Harrell and Dennis Schroeder and then Wesley Matthews. Um, I feel like, and, and Marcus Gasol. And so I, I feel like there's no surprise that they, they're literally better than last year. They won so kind of easily in a sense, you know, last year, I feel like that, you know, they're going to come back and be better. And then defensive player of the year, if it isn't Anthony Davis, I also agree with you that Bam Adebayo can make that jump into the defensive player of the year. Um, I really do think that AD should win because of the fact that, I mean, he hasn't won it yet. Uh, I feel like, you know, he's getting, I don't want to say snubbed, but, you know, I, I do feel like that there is a one or two, one of one or two of those years where he could have easily won it over someone else, like Giannis last year or something like that. Um, and so I do think, I, I hope that Giannis, uh, not Giannis, AD wins it again, uh, wins it this year. But if it isn't him, I do think Bam Adebayo will make that jump. And the Heat as a defensive presence, because, you know, it's so hard to gauge how good a player is defensively because the numbers don't really tell um, besides the blocks and steals. And so I feel like Bam Adebayo, even like maybe like a Ben Simmons, you know, maybe like a point guard uh, winning defensive player of the year. We haven't seen that in a while. Um, I feel like those two guys could really make a splash in, in terms of that award for just because what they do. Ben Simmons in terms of steals and Bam Adebayo, just everything he does, blocking everything. Yeah. All right. Well, Austin, thank you again for joining the podcast for the fourth time. And <laughs> I, I always appreciate your insight. Um, I know uh, the viewers do too. So um, thank you. Thank, thank you again. And uh, I'll have you back on again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Mike.